these extra things you're making me do are making it less secure, more guessable, less strong. Everybody puts the same characters when they're forced to. Hi, this is Greg Young. And this is Bill Malik. And you're listening to Real Cybersecurity. Cool. And today we're going to be talking about hacker-proof things, no password things, and we're going to complain a lot about passwords. Ah, yes. Love passwords. Um, how do you prove you are who you say you are when you're talking to a computer? Uh, I love the old um, you know, three forms of authentication, something you know, something you have, something you are, or uh, as it's turned into, something you forgot, something you lost, and something that vaguely resembles what you looked like some decades ago. Uh, I think you're the only person that likes passwords then. Uh, so I'm really good at resetting them because that seems to be my primary authentication means is I just reset them. And my email system is probably the weakest link in this whole this whole business. I did a um, an interview this week uh, with a reporter talking about um, passwordless authentication. And uh, I have not spent a large part of my uh, career in the uh, authentication side, because historically it's always been, you know, there's been a great separation between the, you know, letting the good guys in, keeping the bad guys out, keeping the wheels on, which was threat facing stuff, IAM and, uh, you know, business continuity. Uh, it kind of stayed away from it, but as time has gone on, uh, you know, there's not that there's more convergence, but they naturally kind of bump into each other more. Yeah. And, and the problems, um, splash across organizational boundaries has happened so much with, uh, with cybersecurity, uh, you know, at what point do you re-authenticate? Uh, I know back in the early days, we were talking about uh, you establish a baseline set of controls uh, for anybody who's going to enter the system, and then you have specific additional access uh, requirements for people who want to do, you know, special extra things, right? So any teller in the bank can take a look at an account balance, but you have to be... Um, trained and vetted and, uh, you know, a higher title in order to, um, you know, authorize a $10,000 plus transfer and that kind of thing. Right, right. There's a bit of granularity in there or some, some smarts to it. I think what got this uh, article started, um, you know, was a lot more emphasis on this, you know, password list, which I really don't like the word, you know, the term. I think it just ends up being more about less friction that I think a lot of cases were just lazy that, you know, it's, it's hard work to make this stuff seamless. You've got to sometimes rip some stuff, hold on, replace it. Uh, you know, with topics like, you know, federation, there's a lot of effort in those. They're multi-year projects, unlike a lot of threat facing stuff, which is typically very short, uh, you know, short timeframes to implement things, but this is hard plumbing and foundation stuff. And I think it's just uh, not, maybe not laziness or poor planning or fear or costs, but, a lot of this stuff is doable. And, you know, I ended up having a lot of envy about some of the other systems I use in the world where it's really easy to authenticate. and It's kind of hassleless. So, And that's a good thing when it comes to security, because as a, as a service, as a, as a function, which is ancillary to the real reason that you're using the computer, uh, the best you can hope for is that you didn't get in the way too much. Yeah. <laughs> like the CISO who said, if I had a nickel for every time I said no. <laughs> Right. And, and, you know, and this, the, the promise is great, though, you know, and it really comes down to, though, just to dig into this a, a tiny bit more where it came from is just, you know, 
multi-factor authentication is, you know, quite valuable, obviously stronger than a lot of the really, you know, dodgy stuff, you know, email slash, you know, password only systems we have, especially with mobile devices now, being able to combine something I, you know, something I have with something I know, um, that gets pretty powerful. And especially when there's some persistence there in smarts between apps, you know, you really get into some federation that goes beyond just sort of the, you know, the bare bones of single sign-on. That's really great. Like, you know, and when I've been inside environments where I've seen it work, where you get seamlessly handed off from one to the other, and I'm not having to put in the same credentials multiple times, it's really evident, you know, and that's a great customer experience. Well, that's true. And that does take a lot of work on the back end. What do you see about um, additional layers of authentication? I mean, not just, not just um, something you know and something you have and something you are, but the additional stuff about uh, geolocation, like uh, you couldn't possibly have put in that transfer request from Lvov because 15 minutes ago you were sitting at your desk in headquarters in Chicago. Yeah, I think it's the uh, a lot of those are exclusionary, which is interesting that they can certainly uh, you know refine down what isn't you rather than what is you quite often. Um, you know, there's some subtlety there, of course, that if I have my phone and I'm you know geolocating at a correct office location, that's a positive. But in many cases, rather than it allows me in, I think it's more of a case of why should this be disallowed uh, because of the issues with geolocation. Sometimes, you know, if I'm uh, you know the granularity of it. Uh, you, you know, especially if my, you know, my phone's powered down, you have to have alternates or if my biometrics doesn't work. I think it's really positive, though, for the biometric side that with the great improvements in uh, fingerprint, visual recognition, you've got some real choices. Now, this stuff, you know, from my first-hand knowledge of it, first-hand experience, stuff works. Well, that's a, that's a good plus. I'll, I'll tell you, I tried signing up for one of those airport systems, which allows you to uh, bypass the line at uh, TSA here in the States and I never could get it to work. Uh, it would never get my, yeah, it was, it was, it was so frustrating. Uh, the fellow or a gal would come over and say, well, you know, let's wash your hands. Uh, I've, I've done nothing to, you know, eradicate my fingerprints. I mean, they're, they're right here. I can see them, but for some reason that the iris scan stuff, it just, it just never took with me. I ended up dropping the program because it wasn't uh, saving me any time. Oh, well. But that may be because. Yeah, there's always the exclusions. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's a fringe case. Um, um, <laughs> there's a wonderful uh, uh, comedy from years ago with uh, Walter Matthau and Glenda Jackson called Hopscotch. And he's a uh, retiring CIA officer who uh, gets fed up with his boss and decides to write his memoirs, which are, of course, you know, terribly embarrassing. Well, one of the comments that's made about him, a young Sam Wasterson says, his checks keep bouncing because his signature changes every time he signs his name. Right. <laughs> there's, there's a subset of the population that just does not write their signature the same way. That's a, you know, a small number under 10%, but it's enough that it would uh, violate the, uh, you know, the biometrics. I think there was a company years ago that tried to get uh, biometric information like how you signed your name based on the pressure at the tip of the point and the acceleration at the pen. So even if you copied somebody's signature, it would not work because you weren't holding the pen the same way and the bone muscle structure in your hand was different. Um, don't know what became of them. I think the, the big current news is around Clearview and, you know, with the advances in AI and sort of the loss of privacy and uh, that that seems to be going at, 
many more speeds than a lot of our authentication means are. Now, so certainly there's been improvements, but um, you know, hey, if I can spot somebody, through, you know, for for nefarious purposes, let's say uh, so easily, why is it so difficult for me to spot the good guy and to verify it, especially when they're a compliant uh, party in the transaction? Like, I want to sign on, please. I'm not trying to evade detection. Right. Right. Now, is there a, a framework that you've seen? I, I know the uh, uh, National Institute of Standards and Technology just upgraded their recommendations for password formation. Did you did you catch that? No, I didn't. But this is a you know this the the issues of password composition are just some of the stuff that makes us all bang our heads against the the you know those those people who have any experience in you know cryptography and entropy. Just bang your heads and you're saying the, all of these extra things you're making me do are making it less secure, more guessable, less strong. Everybody puts the same characters when they're forced to at the end of their passwords to make it comply. It's just, yeah. So I haven't reviewed the NIST ones, but. Um, well, the the latest flash was actually somewhat optimistic. What they What they fessed up to was that when they first came out with their guidelines, they were not thought out. I mean, somebody called NIST and said, how should I structure my passwords? And you know, five folks looked at each other and shrugged and somebody piped up, well, you know, uh, use upper lowercase, use a number, use special characters, you know, it's got to be eight characters or longer. And you ended up with systems like, you know, for a while, the uh, Army's uh, Abrams tank, you needed a 16 character alphanumeric password, which changed every 30 days to get the darn thing to start. So, you know, one presumes they had a deck of uh, sticky notes inside the turret somewhere. But the uh, the 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 new guidance says just go for length. Uh, you know, use use a long password. Many words, for instance, you know, picture yourself in a boat on a river, right? You don't need to worry about capitals or numbers or anything. But it's it's so long. Even if you've got a picture of the Fab Four in your office and your license plate reads Beatles fan, that's still not going to be enough to figure out which lyric from which song, you know, you're using. Uh, and the amount of entropy just by having a you know thirty six character password it's <laughs> brilliantly better than ten characters. Yeah, the the weakness too the the second one that gets me is this whole reuse business that you know when we have such long long passwords and some of them you know great composition but you know forced to reuse them because you know everybody's using the same schemes must be eight characters or longer special character number hey you can be a ton of reuse there unless you're using a password manager so. That's just it's just so weak, especially since there's been so many big breaches. And then what's the response? Well, we're going to have you know longer, longer, more complex passwords, right? And the technology gets further in the way. And now, as you said, everybody writes them down. In fact, I remember uh, one company I was associated with. They distributed sticky notes pre-printed with a message: "Please don't put your password on me," which I thought was kind of a cute uh, awareness and training uh, deal. Um. Do we see uh, advanced authentication uh, becoming mainstream, or is this still very much case by case? You know, three hundred niche vendors all competing for a slot. From the vendor side, um, there's some. There's some. You know, I, I think there's some. The, the simpler technologies are the better ones. The ones that have have less friction seem to be getting the, uh, you know, getting the traction. But again, there hasn't been any massive revolutions. I think it's just, hey, these are more uh, user friendly. Uh, you know, this kinds of federation is there. Uh, and in the absence of it being embedded in a lot of, um, you know, competing vendor systems, um, you know, seems to be some of the same players there. Uh, 
but it seems to be the friendliness aspect for customers versus what we can inflict on our employees. There's such a delta there. Like we do awful things in the IT industry to our employees because they have to listen. But for customers, it's finally become a differentiator. I know it is for me that, you know, if there's a really complex system or if you're going to make me reset it uh, or not use my old ones, I'm going to use a different service. Well, that's that's true. In fact, I remember when uh, years ago, uh, this is disclosure, uh, Greg and I both worked at uh, Gartner for quite a while. I remember seeing um, the breakthrough in single sign-on occurred when people began using web single sign-on. Uh, the idea there was single sign-on is, a, is an incomprehensible uh, problem because you've got N interfaces times N tar- M tar- applications. And so you end up with, you know, this, this ridiculously complex set of problems. But if you force everybody to go through the same web front end, now it's one to M as opposed to N to M. And uh, you could actually make some headway. There were four companies. There was, let me see if I can remember them. There was Dascom. There was uh, Securant. Uh, two others. They each got acquired within a couple of years. I remember a colleague of mine from my IBM days saying, you know, of all the things in the planet, this this 54-person startup that's scaring the bejesus out of them uh, because they had they had been one of the ones that had solved the uh, uh, the problem. And, and it is right. Once you get through that web portal, well, then the web portal can create a session cookie, which carries the authentication mechanism to subsequent apps if you if you design it properly. So you get in, you authenticate yourself once, and from there on in, nobody needs to ask you, you know, what are the last four digits of your social security number ever again until you, you know, leave the session. Yeah, uh, you know, compliance, of course, is a, is a wrench in that, to, you know, as, as you get some systems that are forced to reset passwords on, you know, m- on, you know, a few months basis to be, quote, compliant. And why, well, why are we compliant? Well, to make security better. Well, no, um, because then they become unmemorable, long, complex passwords you're changing all the time. So, yeah, there seems to be this gap between, um, you know, compliance is a friction uh, with also competing vendors, you know, not cooperating, you know, why do we expect them to? So, especially in the cloud world, there's just so much, you know, competition there and things we have to log into. It's not surprising that there's been, you know, great, great fish, you know, fishing remains number one with a bullet. Absolutely. Absolutely. I know um, some schemes that people adopt personally are, complex password, you know, appended with the month and the year. So if you have to change it, you just change the month and the year and continue with your complex password. That is not a recommendation. <laughs> that is an observation. Right. That is descriptive, not normative. <laughs> yeah. You know, especially with these large breaches where the full credentials are, are stored in the, in the clear, you bang your head, then they're exposed and it doesn't take much to look at, you know, let's say, you know, uh, you know, you're, one of your passwords was compromised with a with an unvaluable system. Um, I can look at the composition of it, and, you know, try that somewhere else on a more valuable system like your bank. Just try to, uh, you know, if there's a pattern there, try to match it. If it's the, you know, if I if I broke into your, uh, you know, your 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 book club, and I could see that it was, you know, book club month year. Hey, I'm going to try, you know, Bank of America month year. Um, yeah, that's that's the frustration is, you know, the, the forcing people to reuse things, which just makes the hacker's job harder or easier. That's um Right. We don't seem to have made a lot of progress despite smart people like, you know, Ant Allen and Greg Kreitzman trying to advise us otherwise. It it's uh, seems to be endemic. Well, and, and I remember hearing a statistic that was somewhat unnerving that even 
with the best, most effective um, awareness campaigns that organizations still find it, you know, five, six percent of their employees will click on a bad link. They will fall prey to phishing. And that's best in class. So, you know, you, so you can knock down the number of breaches from one in three to, you know, one in 20. Uh, I don't know that that's enough if you're talking about an enterprise that has thousands of, of employees. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a frustrating uh, road to hoe. Although the, the whole identity and access management space is really uh, powerful. The trouble there, and you alluded to this before, is that deploying those solutions is really hard. Right. I was talking with a, with a client about this some time ago. And I said, you know, some organizations think that a, installing an identity and access management solution is like, you know, hair plugs or a skin transplant. It's really more of a skeleton transplant. And you, you have to go into, you go into every system and you have to take a look at every way in which authentication is used or presumed to already be in place. Uh, and it's, it's a daunting challenge. Yeah, it almost creates an, an authentication debt of when you have legacy systems that you know, you're almost held to that lowest common denominator quite often. So how do you bridge that? I, had, I think, do think it is miraculous though when I'm when I have the option to um, add a you know multi-factor authentication. You know, use my mobile device, which you know we all become more reliant and carry more now. It, you know, but there is a backdoor if you you know, but, but backdoor I mean an alternative method if you can't get authenticated like what you described happened to you. The the, the possibilities are there. Well, and then on the flip side, you have the fact that multi-factor authentication turns out to be a great leveler. Um, didn't we just have uh, Jeff Bezos' uh, cell phone hat? Right. Eventually, you know, our password becomes an appendage to that 10-digit, if you're stateside, phone number. Um, and the affiliation between an individual and their phone is pretty strong. I really do not want to have to change my phone number because my Yahoo password was uh, compromised back in 2014 or whenever that three billion person breach took place. Yeah, and it brings it back to you know now you know we started off saying there wasn't a very strong link between the keeping the bad guys out and the good guys in, but when that mobile device becomes so key to authentication, like if you if you own that device, great, you know, problem solved. Huh? So that uh, you know that that certainly that link between uh, you know IAM and and threat facing is is very is very, very heavily bound with a mobile device. One interesting thread I saw, uh, I know we'd spoken about uh, IoT uh, earlier, um, is in some organizations, folks are trying to figure out how to marry their identity and access management systems with their uh, physical access systems, right? So- Right, right. Right, when a person gets provisioned to work at ABC Industries, not only do they get a user ID and an email address and password, but they also get a activated badge so they can get into the parking garage and uh, approval to get off the elevator on the fifth floor. My, my uninformed opinion in this area is that, you know, with all the smarts we see, for example, in credit card fraud avoidance and, you know, with new, new advances in machine learning and AI, like I, I just think it's not being applied enough in these areas. I think we would do so much better, especially for spotting the, uh, you know, spotting the bad guys in the process rather than the you know excluding good guys. I think you're onto something there. Um, I think that there is a an as yet undocumented architecture for authentication, and it's going to have to include not just users but also devices. Uh, I know years ago, Sony Corporation's uh, 
250-year plan had uh, a speculation as to the number of devices that will be owned and used by not just people, but pets, motorboats. Right. Um, and when you look at how 5G is going to start taxing not just my relationship with a service I want, but my possessions relationships with services that they want, uh, the problem is only going to get bigger. Uh, one of the potential uses that we're hearing about is you drive your car into the gas station and the automobile itself authenticates itself to the gas pump and the gas pump requests and then gets approved a financial transfer to the cover the cost of your gas without you ever having to pull your um, credit card out of your wallet. Absolutely. Like, like, look how much you can do it. Like a Starbucks, for example, you know, just by by walking near a device, or you know, with these, you know, Amazon stores now, where you don't need to authenticate yourself. Clearly, that's the future, especially when you have the car there. Like, exactly. Well, and if your car's stolen, you could, um, you know, just say, "Hey, it can't be filled up anywhere." What a great, you know, or charged anywhere. What a great uh, anti theft mechanism that would be. Yes. Yes. And then, of course. <laughs> your car has been hijacked by, you know, XYZ. Give us, you know, 0.26 Bitcoin or you'll never be able. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we just had a pwned on last week. Uh, so you mentioned one other uh, really interesting one was the, you, you did a Google search on unhackable crypto wallet. <laughs> you got, what was it? 38,600 results in 0.54 seconds. Yes. I, uh, uh, I happened to notice on my Twitter uh, feed a uh, uh, message about yet another startup, you know, reaching out to one of our uh, few hundred really top tier security experts on Twitter saying, you should really take a look at this. It's an unhackable crypto wallet. And it's like, oh, joy <laughs> at last. <laughs> I love the term unhackable. That's the best. It's like zero trust. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, unhackable, unbreakable. Oh, you know, <laughs> thumbs up, Oracle, for that uh, that moonshot. Perfect security. Try Strata. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every time I see an Oracle patch, I always think of you know. I thought we were unbreakable. It's just, ugh. oh well. Maybe maybe everybody doesn't think like us. So. Well, yeah, I think a healthy dose of uh, skepticism uh, is useful uh, in information security professionals. But if you disagree, please feel free to reach out and contact us. That is, you know, if you think skepticism is useful, raise your hand. If you think skepticism is unneeded in security, stand on your head. Sorry, I shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, this is a, a topic that we have not spent a lot of time in our careers on, but we seem to have big opinions on. So it's uh, this was interesting. So uh, I think we've, uh, you know, as I've looked at this business around XDR and, you know, these data lakes and the incredible amount of information we will apply to see if something's malicious, uh, if only we would apply similar techniques to, you know, letting the good guys in, wouldn't that be great? Oh, thanks, Bill. This was... Uh, um, this, this got us into, into areas that I didn't think we'd have recommendations on, but that's part of our real cybersecurity, I guess, what our mantra, our, our, our rules of engagement that we must end with something, uh, practical. So. Yes. Use, use long passwords. Don't worry about the special characters. You take this one from me, William Malik, but the I 
is converted to a one. <laughs> uh, or I could use a funny accent, and if only it would pick that up too. Cool. All right, thanks, Bill. This has been uh, this has been fun. Absolutely. Thanks everybody for listening to Real Cybersecurity. I'm Bill Malik, and I'm Greg Young. And uh, give us some feedback on Twitter or email or the other mechanisms you can you can connect with us. Thanks again. Remember to follow us on Twitter at Real Cybersecurity, and our email address is podcast at realcybersecurity.net. Thanks.